0: I heard a story about a charity group who, as they were going through their records, noticed that there was a businessman in town who had never given to any charity, much less their charity. And so uh, the lady in charge of contributions decided she would give him a call. And so she called him and she said, Sir, our records indicate that you make about $500,000 a year, and yet you have never even given a single penny towards any charitable, you know, association in this town. Wouldn't you like to give back to the community in which you live? And so the businessman thought for a moment and he replied, well, did your research, research also show that my mom is dying after a long illness and she has medical bills that are several times her annual inco- income? He, he went on, his voice just rising in the indignation. And he said, or that my brother is disabled and confined to a wheelchair. Or that my sister's husband died in a car accident, leaving her with three children and a whole lot of bills to pay. And the charity worker was just kind of completely dismayed at this point. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I had no idea. And finally, the businessman cutting her off said, so if I don't give any money to them, why do you think I would give any to you? Well, we are starting a three-week series titled The Genius of Generosity, and hopefully, it doesn't take much to see that that man was not a genius. He may have been a business genius, but he wasn't a genius as far as generosity concern, is concerned. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. You know, Jesus was always saying things that were counterintuitive, always saying things that, that go against the grain of what we typically think of. And so he would say things like, how you respond to cursing is to bless, how do you respond to your enemies is to love. How to be fully alive is actually to die to yourself. How to be the greatest is actually to be the least, to be a servant. But maybe the most counterintuitive thing that Jesus ever said was repeated by the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 verse 35 when he said when Jesus said and Paul quotes him, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, nothing in our culture or in our social media or in our advertising industry agrees with that statement. That is backwards. Everything around us says it is blessed to receive. And so what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're just going to see, does Jesus know what he's talking about? Does Jesus really know what he's talking about? Is it truly more blessed to give than to receive? receive, and blessed, for who? And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. You know, it's interesting. I don't think if I asked any of you if that statement is true, I'm guessing that every single one of us would say, yes, Josh, I believe that statement wholeheartedly. What we're going to dig into, though, this next three weeks, hopefully, if you allow yourself, is do we truly believe it by the way that we live our lives? Because it's one thing to give lip service to something. It's another thing to actually believe it and have it affect the way that we live and operate. So is it truly more blessed to give than to receive? I do believe Jesus knows what he's talking about. I do believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I hope you do too. And hopefully we can get to the bottom of if we truly believe it and how it is affecting our lives. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how generosity blesses us. We're going to talk about how generosity blesses ourselves uh, or, or um, sorry, each other and how it blesses us as well. Uh, but more so to the point today, what I want to talk about is how generosity blesses God. And so that's where we're going to go with our teaching today, that by being generous, we bless God. And the Bible is full of commands for us to bless the Lord. But what does that mean? What does it mean to bless the Lord? And I know what it means for the Lord to bless me, right? Each of us knows what it means for the Lord to bless us. I know that, that God is giving me something that I need, more strength, more peace, more hope, more patience, more whatever that may be, fill in the blank. I know what it means for God to bless me, but how do we bless God? I mean, you and I can't add anything to God, We're not giving him anything that he needs. He is sufficient in and of himself. But when we bless God, or maybe another way of thinking that is when we magnify God, we're not making God greater, but what we are doing is we are recognizing and we're helping others to see and to recognize how great he actually is. To bless God is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To bless God is to live like he has no rival And no equal, that he is the first and the greatest, and nothing and no one compares to him. Now, here's the thing: Jesus knew that nothing competes for allegiance with God like money. Nothing competes for allegiance like God with God like money. So he was probably the first preacher to ever be criticized. Well, all he ever does is talk about money. Jesus was probably the first one to be criticized for that. One-sixth of all his statements, one-third of all his parables talk about money. Jesus talks about money more than any subject other than the kingdom of God, and the two are connected because you cannot enthrone Jesus on your heart until you dethrone money and stuff. And for a lot of preachers, honestly, myself included, we sometimes shy away. I don't know how Dwayne is about this, but you know, we sometimes shy away from preaching about money for different reasons. I'm not going to talk about them right now, but we shy away from talking about money. And there's been a lot of misuse and and, um, bad teaching about money that maybe plays into that. But to be honest, what it all boils down to is that reticence is on me because Jesus never shied away from talking about money. He talked about money all the time. And not because he was interested in making money. That wasn't Jesus' goal. What he was interested was in making disciples. That's what Jesus was interested in. And Jesus knew that the surest way to discern what somebody really treasures is to discover what they do with their treasures. Here's another thing Jesus said that seems backwards. You've read it and probably heard it. A whole bunch of times but he says this in, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 for where your treasure is there your heart will be also now we think where my heart is is where my treasure will be right if that's what I care about then that's where my treasure will be and so we think in far, in, in terms of that but Jesus said that's not really how it works Jesus says generosity is important because it reveals if God is important that's why generosity is important, because it reveals how important God is in my life. Where, you're, where you put your money is the clearest indicator of what you think really matters. When it comes to discerning true devotion to God, Jesus doesn't follow the mouth. He doesn't care about what your mouth says. Uh, you know, he follows the money. Everybody comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, it's a parable. You know, Lord, Lord, have we not done, Lord, Lord. And, and Jesus says, I, that's all good and well, what you, ta- what you call me with your mouth, but I'm not really interested in what you proclaim. I, I want to know where the money went. I want to know where, you're, where, where, where it's truly going, what the actions that are associated with your money truly are exhibiting in your life. You see, we can talk all day long about the things that matter to us, and the things that are important to us, and the things that we care about. But like the old saying goes, put your money where your mouth is, right? That's what the old saying says. And Jesus would say that if your money isn't where your mouth is, then maybe those things aren't really as important to you as you say they are. And we can say that things are important, that's good, but Jesus would say our money says a lot more than our mouth does, because our money indicates where our heart truly is. You see, nothing says more about how important we think God is than what we think money is for. Nothing says more about how important we think God is than what we think money is for. Because generosity is more than just an act of charity. Generosity is the proclamation of your theology. It truly is proclaiming what you believe about God. We just finished a series talking about the most important thing about you is what you think about God and generosity how generous you are is one indicator one of the clearest indicators of what you actually believe about God and God is blessed when we use money to magnify his greatness and to reveal to the world what we really think about him so let's unpack that just a little bit what does that look like how does our generosity bless God well first i think it blesses God by recognizing his ownership we recognize God's ownership over everything that we have and everything that everybody else has and over everything in this world. You see, Scripture is absolutely clear about God's absolute right to everything. Listen to what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth and everything in it. David said this in Psalm chapter 24, verse one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let's go even higher than that. God himself says in Job chapter 41, verse 11, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. In fact, this is one of the first things the Bible teaches. The very first words of the Bible are what? First five words, in the beginning, God created in the beginning God created and so the very first thing the Bible teaches is that God made it and it ain't yours God made it not you God made everything right it ain't yours here's the reality just to give you the stark truth each and every one of us were born completely naked right each and every one of us will die empty-handed. And so, in the meantime, while we are here, each of us must manage God's stuff wisely. Let me say that again. Each of us were born naked. Whether you like that or not, that's the reality of life. You were born naked. You're going to die empty-handed. You can't take the stuff with you. Can't take the stuff with you when you go. And in between, each of us must manage God's stuff. You see, God is blessed when we behave like entrusted children instead of like entitled children. Does it bless you when your kids act entitled? Is that a blessing to you? Is it a blessing when you do for your kids, and they don't say thank you, and they whine, and they act like spoiled brats? I mean, I'm assuming this is your kids, not mine, because my kids never do this, obviously, um, But does that bless you? Does it bless you when they just have an expectation for how things are going to be and and, and there's no thankfulness, there's no gratitude? Of course that doesn't bless us. So why would we think it blesses God when we as his children act that way? It blesses God when we act like entrusted children and not entitled children. And one of the chief ways scripture reveals how we do this is through something called, Bible calls, tithing. Now, tithing is a word that just means one-tenth. So it's got a whole lot of baggage with it, but it just means one-tenth. And in the Old Testament, God set this up where you would take one-tenth of all you produce and you would give it to him as a way of expressing his ownership. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 14. There's several passages, but this is the one I chose. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. You must set aside a tithe of your crop, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, firstborn males of your flocks and herds, all everything. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, let me be clear. This wasn't God saying, you know, you know this is what wasn't the people saying, okay, God, I, I'm giving you 10%. Okay, here's, here's your 10%, right? And now the other 90% is mine. I get to keep it and do whatever I want with it. That, that's not the principle that God was setting up. By the way, the Bible also says, never says give God a tithe. It doesn't tell us to give God a tithe. You know what it says? Bring God the tithe. It doesn't tell us to give it to him like it's ours to begin with and we're giving it to him. It says to bring it. Let me give you an example or illustration to kind of maybe hopefully paint the difference. Let's say I've got some car trouble and I need to take my car in, and one of you kindly lets me borrow your car for a couple of days. So a couple of days later, my car's ready to go. I give you a call on the phone, and I say, hey, um, I just want you to know, Marcy and I have talked, and we are so thankful for you letting us, uh, you know, just you, you blessing us and being generous, that we are going to give you a car. Now, you know good and well, I'm not giving you a car, right? I'm giving you back the car that you let me borrow. I'm not giving you a brand new car. It's not like I'm saying, yeah, I just want you to know the blessing of my heart, I'm giving you this. You ought to be appreciative that I'm giving you this car. No, I'm giving you back the car that you entrusted to me. And that's kind of the idea when it comes to tithing and what God was trying to get across. Tithing is a recognition of the reality that we don't actually own anything. We were born completely naked. We are going to die empty-handed, and in between, we must manage God's stuff because it's all His. It ain't yours. It ain't mine. It's all His. It's not, God, I'm giving you your part, and now I'm going to take my part, and I'll do with it what I want to, and I'll figure out the rest. And, 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 or it's, it's definitely not, hey, can I afford to, do, to, to give back to God? It's God, it's all your stuff. How do you want me to use it? It's not mine. God, it's yours. How do you want me to use it? It's all given for God's purposes. And I can tell you what his purposes are. Now, it's probably bigger than this, but I'll try and sum it up in in two ways. I think God gives you his stuff to manage for two reasons. One, I do think he gives you his stuff to enjoy. God has given us many things to enjoy. And God is the giver. He he, he is the perfect giver. And he enjoys to give good gifts to his children. And I think he gives them so that we can enjoy them. But that's not the only reason. We think that's the primary reason. It's not the primary reason either. And it's definitely not the only reason. Because the second thing God gives us gifts for and gives us blessings for is not just to enjoy them, but to employ them. To use them for his glory and to bless others, which leads to another way our generosity blesses God. It blesses God because we are embracing His mission. You see, you bless somebody by caring about what they care about. And God cares passionately about redeeming all that He's created that has been marred by sin. God's call is not for us to escape this world. God's call for us is to join Him in rescuing and redeeming this world. And part of how we do that. Is through our generosity. And think about it. Our salvation, your salvation hinges on the most radical act of generosity ever. Right? What is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3.16? We almost kind of forget about one of the biggest words that is in there. John 3.16, for God so loved, we kind of focus on that, and that's a good thing, but he so loved that he did what? He gave. He gave his one and only son you see god gave the world jesus and god jesus gave the world you and me his church he said i'm giving the world a church that will that will push back against the gates of hell i'm giving the world a church that's going to advance the mission of god the church is plan a plan b and plan c to accomplish god's mission of rescuing the world now back to tithing for a second I know that there are some objections that people have when it comes to tithing. And again, I said there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. So let me just deal with a couple of the main objections usually that that people will have. One is that, well, mainly, mainly tithing is in the Old Testament mainly and not in the New Testament. And that is true. And I will concede that if you will concede the sheer craziness of thinking that somehow we are called to do less under grace than we were if we are still under law. Is that fair enough? Can we concede those two points? The other thing that people will sometimes say is, well, you don't have to tithe to your local church. I will concede that too, and I've got some good news for you. You don't have to answer to me for how you deal with God's stuff. You don't have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to the elders for how you deal with God's stuff. You don't have to answer to anybody in this church building or anywhere about how you deal with God's stuff. But you do have to answer to him you will have to answer to him for what you did with the stuff and the blessing that he gave to you. Jesus told parables about how the master goes away and the master always comes back. And you know what the question the master asks when he comes back is? What did you do with my stuff? What did you do with what I entrusted to you? You ever had a teacher when you were younger? I love these teachers, by the way, although it depended on the question. You ever had a teacher where... They said, okay, there's going to be a final exam and here's the question that's going to be on the exam. You ever had one of those teachers before? Jesus is basically saying this is going to be on the exam. This is the question or one of them that you are going to be asked, that you're going to have to give an answer to. What did you do with God's stuff? I'm not here to tell you what to say. I am here to tell you that you're going to have to give an answer. And just to be clear, we don't give simply to meet a church budget, right? I mean, yes, sometimes we have things that we give for, but we don't give just so we can meet a church budget or give a certain amount. We give to bless God by pursuing his mission in this community and in this city and in this state and in this world. As I said earlier, our generosity reflects our theology. And one of the clearest indicators of what you think and believe about God is how you manage his money. Our generosity shows that we care about what God cares about. And it also shows that we believe that he cares about us. Which brings me to what I think is the most important reason to be generous. The way that our generosity blesses God perhaps greater than any other. And it's simply this. When we are generous, we are affirming God's character. Because that's who he is. As I said earlier, the very first thing the Bible teaches us about God is that he owns everything. The second thing the Bible teaches us is that he's good. Not only does he own everything and he creates everything, but everything he does is good and meant for our good. And that's the very first thing the enemy challenged. That's the very first thing the enemy challenged. Serpent shows up and he says, really? Why can't you have that? I mean, what's God's problem? Why is he holding out on you? Are you sure you can truly trust that God has your best interest at heart? That has always been and always will be the temptation and the challenge. What do we believe about the character of God? We teach our kids to pray, or at least hopefully you teach your kids to pray. Um, God is great, God is good. You ever said that prayer? Simple prayer. God is great, God is good. But you can't magnify the greatness of God if you don't believe that God is good. If you don't believe God is good, how, how are we going to, to talk about the greatness of God and truly understand that and all that means? And, and, and you know how the Bible tells us to do that, to affirm the goodness of God? It's all over the pages of the Bible. You see it all over the pages of the Bible. You keep seeing the word first. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? God says, I want the first... Calf, I want the first son, I want the first lamb, I want the first fruit. It all belongs to me, and I want you to bring it and offer it to me. You see, they were an agrarian society, a little bit different than what we are today. They were an agrarian society, and they survived by that crop coming in. And so, over 30 times in the Bible, God says, I want the first fruits. I want the first fruits. Do you know how many times God says, I want the last fruits? That's not a trick question. Zero. Not one time. You see, here's what God's saying. He's saying, okay, when that crop comes in, don't go get the whole harvest and don't come and, and, and go out and, bring, and get 90% and store it in your barns and then bring me what's left over, the other 10%. You bring me the first 10%. Because when you do, you are declaring to everyone who is watching that I am good, that you can count on me, that I'm going to come through for you, that I am trustworthy, that I keep my promises. We bless God by bringing the first and trusting that he is going to bless the rest. I can tell you 90% in the hands of a blessing from God is way better than 100% of your own trying to bless it. 90, God's gonna do way more with the 90% that you have, quote unquote, left over than the 100% that you try and keep for yourself. Just listen to the promises that God gives. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. I could give you so many, but I'm just gonna give you three. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi three, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. By the way, you're not really supposed to test the Lord unless he gives you permission. He gives you permission in this. Test me in this, he says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Or this is in the New Testament, just in case we were wondering if there's any commands to give and, and be generous. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses six through eight. Remember this, Paul writes, You can't out-bless God. You cannot out-bless God. The problem, though, in our culture is that we live by a scarcity mindset. Now, there's several problems, but in particular, we live by this scarcity mindset. And the scarcity mindset basically says, I won't have enough. I won't have enough. So that's why we work ourselves to death, so that we can buy things, as the one person said. We can buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't like, right? But we, that's why we work ourselves to death. That's why we worry about money. That's why we are anxious about money and the stuff that we have and not having enough, either in the present to look the part or in the future so that we have enough and we're secure or what we feel like we need enough, uh, what we feel like we need to be secure. And we have this scarcity mindset. And specifically when it comes to God, we think, well, if I give to God first, is there going to be enough left over for me? And really at the heart of that mindset is challenging the goodness of God. And really in many ways, you could say that's sin. I mean, think about it. We talk a lot about what sin is and and what that means. How do we define sin? But really at its core, sin is my unwillingness to trust that obeying God will lead to my highest joy. It is an unwillingness on my part to trust that God knows best, that God is truly good, and to obey his ways over what I want to do because my way is going to lead to my highest joy. Think about that. None of you make, I hope you don't, maybe I'm being too presumptuous, but I hope you don't, none of you make decisions to be miserable. Sometimes I feel like my kids do, just, um, you know, maybe it's to make me miserable, but none of you make decisions to be miserable, Right? We make decisions and we make those decisions because we believe that by making them, we are pursuing the path to joy. And so if we choose to sin, if we choose to reject God's ways and his path and his wisdom, what that decision is saying is that, God, you are an obstacle to my joy. I need to go outside of the life that you have designed for me, that you want for me, to find the joy that I need for me. And in many ways, that's sin. What obedience is saying is, God, you are good. You want the best for me. And so if I do what you ask me to do, that is in fact the path to my highest joy. Every single day, you are confronted with the lie that God is an obstacle to your joy every single day. In some ways that's small, and in some ways it's big. But I guarantee you, if you take some time this week to really think about, is this this Satan planting this seed for God to be an obstacle to my joy? Because every single day, I guarantee you, you will see something where you are tempted with the lie that God is an obstacle to your joy. And every time you rebuke that lie, you bless God. You see, ultimately, generosity is grounded in the gospel. I could give you a lot of verses that would motivate generosity, but I'll just give you one of my favorite. It's found in Romans chapter eight, verse 32. I love this verse. I love the whole chapter of Romans eight, but I love this verse too. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, God didn't hold back his best. And the Father is blessed when his children believe the best about him. As a dad, that's one of my highest blessings. One of my highest joys is to is for me to see that my kids trust that short of me sinning, that they can trust that I have what's best. For them at heart. That I'm going to do, short of sinning, what is best for them to have the best possible life for them. You see, generosity is genius because trust is God's love language. That's the genius of generosity. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed for who? It, it, it blesses us. It blesses others. And we'll talk about those things over the next couple of weeks. But ha- perhaps more than anything else, it blesses God. It blesses him. And we want to be a church that blesses God. We want to be a genius church. And the path to genius is the path of generosity.